I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Okay, so I, I want to give you a little window into my world, you guys. I was reading a story my podcast producer, Grace Cannon, brought to my attention recently that made me immediately realize how great a country America really is. But, you know, the people behind it, too, because this one involved the son of a bricklayer deep in the blue collar heart of the Midwest who, through hard work and a heck of a gutsy outlook, Went from thinking he'd, you know, start a landscaping business out of high school to playing on the 1984 Olympic soccer team to, and by the way, there are a lot of twos here, to arriving in Los Angeles with 25 bucks in his pocket and no credit card to playing professional soccer and then to reselling, you getting along here, you getting my picture here, to reselling used tech equipment to co-founding a tech products and services business and turning it into a multi-billion dollar company. And I thought to myself, get this guy on the podcast. He's Jim Cavanaugh, co-founder and CEO of a company called Worldwide Technology. And I am dying for you guys to hear his story. Jim, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Well, thank you, Liz. It's great to be here. Thank you for the nice introduction. My head's exploding, Jim. I mean, blue collar plus soccer scholarship plus L.A. with no money. I need to unspool how you created your world and, and this unbelievable success. And, and how, how did it all begin? I want to take you back to your childhood in Missouri. Sure. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, I grew up uh, in, a, in a blue collar family. Uh, and uh, I had this aspiration that I was going to be a professional soccer player, play for the Olympic team and grow a multi-billion dollar business back when I was uh, fourth, you know, fourth or fifth grade. No, I am just kidding. I was going <laughs> to say, wait, oh, stop. You envisioned this? <laughs> no way. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I am joking. Uh, you know, it, it it was just something I would say growing up that uh, fortunately, uh and, and a blue collar family what, with two great parents that uh, really valued, I, I would say just that uh, certain values, they didn't say, write them down and hear the different things. It was just the way that they communicated to me. And one of them was around hard work and standing up for yourself. And, uh, you know, the other one is just, you know, 
honesty and integrity and trust. And so those things, and they did it, you know, through demonstration and, and holding me and my siblings accountable. So when I go back and look at, you know, how I've evolved as a person starting from, you know, the, a very modest upbringing, uh, it was really just leaning into, I said it here, just leaning into hard work and never running from hard work, actually looking for it and uh, feeling good about, you know, accomplishing things. And I would say from that point on, I wasn't the smartest kid in school. I wasn't the best athlete, but uh, I would say I was up in the top of the class when it came to putting the, the the effort in required to get the most out of whatever skills you have. Oh man, you just you just said something really important. And I often think about, not that I'm comparing you to Madonna, but Madonna once said, <laughs> I am not the best dancer and I am definitely not the best singer. I just fought the hardest to get where I wanted to go. I want to know the earliest memories you had of watching your dad work really hard as a bricklayer. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, not... It was not only watching him work, saying, you know, unfortunately, it was it was fun. I remember there were a few times that he took um, me and my brother to work with him. And we actually got to see, you know, go on a job site and see the things that he actually did building, you know, larger buildings, whether it was stone or brick or block. And, you know, all the big equipment that's that's, you know, part of a construction site. So that was fascinating. But to see, you know, really working in. You know, I, as, as we've talked a little bit before, just living in the Midwest, you've got all four seasons and you've got some really, really hot weather. It could be 100 degrees, 100 plus, and you're sitting on a wall building brick, uh, climbing up and down ladders. And, uh, and the same thing, it could be, you know, zero or below and you're working out in the elements. So seeing things like that, and that's just what you did, uh, was was, you know, impactful for me. And, and actually seeing my dad, you know, who I uh, had uh, about an eighth grade uh, freshman in high school education mm. uh, go on to not only doing that, but actually end up running uh, the Bricklayers Union uh, here in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, and to see that ability to, to, to really demonstrate leadership. And, and so that was another thing I recognized uh, from him was the ability to, to earn respect and loyalty and to lead people. And that's uh, something maybe he didn't realize uh, I was watching, but I was. My dad used to say that. I'd quote him later in life and he'd say, oh my God, you were actually listening. And we, we are <laughs> kids. Kids hear what you say to them. So remember, remember that everybody, you know, don't, don't, talk down to them don't don't be harsh say good things that they can grab or or show them different things just exactly what your father was able to show you with leading taking that leadership position i think is really fascinating uh, was he a soccer player how did the soccer thing come into play yeah that was uh i think he played he played a bit when he was younger but uh as i mentioned uh you know quit school as a uh, early freshman year and then started, you know, was, was laying brick and uh, bringing his paycheck home to his mother. And so uh, didn't play much more than that. Uh, but 
he did coach us a little bit when we were younger. And uh, it was just a sport that uh, I played, played some hockey, some baseball, some soccer, but really, but really liked soccer. And it was something that uh, I, I just took an incredible interest to and, and just enjoyed playing, enjoyed the competition. Uh, and fortunately, soccer has been very, very good to me and over the years. I would say so. What position did you play? And at what point did you realize, wait a minute, I could get into a college thanks to my soccer ability? Well, you know, that, that was one. I, I played defense and midfield, but uh, was always viewed uh, probably a little bit, uh, I don't know, ahead of the time back then, but I loved to attack. So I found myself out of position a lot, uh, but that's <laughs> what they want the players to do now. So I was always one that uh, I was a defender, but I would call it a very aggressive attacking uh, defender. And uh, it was one that I will tell you, as I mentioned to others, that you know I was cut, cut multiple times uh, in grade school, cut when I was a freshman in high school, uh, but um, really just never gave up and really loved the game. And I loved the practice. I loved the play and uh, just not giving up and continue to get better. Then barely got a scholarship into St. Louis University, which was a, a very strong soccer school at the time. And uh, at that point had a good freshman year uh, and the, the coach, uh, basically identified me and said, you know, there's a tryout coming for the Olympic team. You've had a, you know, a really strong, you're not, you're, you're not recognized as one of our top players coming in, but you've played incredibly well. And I want to give you the chance to, to go play, uh, or go try out for the Olympic team in, and, uh, Missouri here and wow. made it there and then got picked to go to the Midwest and then to, to the national trials and, just continue to make it. And I, I, I would just say the point is you just don't know. You don't know what that hard work is going to is gonna tee up for you and is going to present to you. And I truly believe in business and sport and whatever you do, the harder, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And uh, you don't mm. know. There's no guarantees uh, that that hard work is going to bring you, you know, great success or good success. But I can tell you it sure as heck improves your probability. Oh, my gosh. So 1984, you find yourself on the Olympic soccer team. What was that? Yeah, like? it was it was it was fun. It was uh, it was just it was just a fascinating, I would say, experience overall. Just uh, again, growing up in a very modest uh, blue collar family and not traveling, you know, for vacation or anything like that. And to find myself you know, on the first tournament to where going to South Korea and playing in the, the President's Cup and then going to China, you know, to play in a Great Wall uh, tournament and playing against other, you know, world-class players, uh, playing against professional teams, traveling to, you know, countries all over the world, Asia, Germany, you know, Sweden, England, mm. Central America. And just, it was, as much as it was a great, soccer experience to this day i learned so much uh just from a global standpoint different cultures and really how fortunate we are here in the united states and i don't think people always realize that uh there's a lot of other countries that and people that you have really vast you have the alt you know kind of the ultra wealthy and then you have uh people that are in modest uh, to very, very modest. Uh, Dire poverty. 
Uh, yes, thank you. It's a horrible economy to have when you only have very wealthy or very poor. And it's worrisome when we start to brush up against that and we start to see that a bit here where there is that top 1% and then there's a huge, vast middle where, you know, you could argue that the that the auto industry created the middle class, giving people a shot at a really good wage, a house, you know, two cars in the garage, a couple of kids, one and a half dogs, whatever, whatever the metric right, was. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Usually I, I think to myself, wow, great country. But now when you look at people who have to work one, two, three jobs just to make ends meet, we don't want that in this country, certainly. And, uh, you know, stories like yours certainly help propel that belief that people can do it with incredibly hard work. You actually had to interrupt the college career to do the Olympics, correct? And then you went back, you graduated, and you find yourself in Los Angeles with 25 bucks in your pocket, and that's <laughs> it? What the heck? What, yes. what happened? That, that was quite funny. Uh, and I didn't realize <laughs> you were going to intro with that, but that is, that is a true story. I uh, graduated from... Uh, St. Louis University and uh, was fortunate enough to get picked uh, second in the draft. And and that was by the L.A. Lasers at the time. There there wasn't an outdoor team. And uh, it was fascinating that uh, I literally didn't have a credit card and I negotiated my contract. And the bus family uh, owned the, the Lakers, Lakers Jerry. the Kings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jerry, uh, Jerry Bus and then Jim Bus and Jeannie. And they were all involved. Between the Lakers, the the the, the uh, Lasers, uh, and they they own the hockey team also. So uh, the, the Kings, Kings and, come on, yes, not yes. the hockey team, the hockey team. This is my team, yes, the yes. L.A. Kings. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> you know it well. Yeah. And and uh, I literally went out, and that's where Jim said came out. I had a signing bonus and uh, went to the hotel. He sent me my air my air plane tickets. That was Jim Bus, And uh, so I flew out there and I thought they had me set up in a hotel by uh, the forum. And I went to the hotel and they didn't have it. And I and the, the lady basically said, uh, we don't have a reservation for you. And she said, I said, well, can you get me a room? And she said, yes. And she'd give me a credit card. And I'm like, I don't have a credit card. I'm like, can you give me <laughs> one free night? I'll come back. I'm going next door here to get uh, my signing bonus and I'll come back tomorrow. And she was kind <laughs> enough to actually uh, let me do that. And uh, that that was uh, the start of my professional career. Oh, you must have that Midwestern kind look on your face. Like, oh, man, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I was I was like, please let me have a room. Where am I going to go? How long did you play for the L.A. Lasers? For two years. Yes. And then got traded to St. Louis. Um, and, uh, that, that was, you know, one of the things that uh, I love playing the game and, uh, but at the time the league was very shaky, uh, was just not on stable ground. And obviously there's a lot of things that have transpired with soccer, the, the outdoor league now, major league soccer, uh, which I'm also about a, a part of that, bringing a major league soccer team to St. Louis Fantastic. with the Taylor family here which we're in the process of building a stadium as we speak uh, in St. Louis here. But uh, the team back then traded to uh, back to St. Louis, uh, which was great and playing for the steamers and the steamers went bankrupt. 
Uh, and it was God. just a point at that time that I had a choice to make. And I had a couple teams call me to, to come and play. And it was, do I continue to take that route or do I actually try to start my business career, whatever that may be. And I just felt it was time to make a difficult decision and uh, to move towards uh, uh, the, the business side of my next phase of life. Here. And and how did that begin? Because that's a serious dogleg in another direction, isn't it? It really is. And I, there's one thing I would say that I try to communicate to younger uh, kids in college. And uh, one of the things that I did intentionally was I wanted to get into a growth field. And one of the growth fields that I was interested, not that I had a great affinity to just understanding technology, but I felt that technology was really a, a growing field and it was going to continue to grow. And if you get in early, then I think you'll find and, and or you'll find opportunities through that. If you don't get in and you go in another area, then you may not ever, you know, be willing to make that that take that chance or to get into that field. So that's that's what I did. And I went and I was looking for jobs. And again, in the Midwest here, they weren't flush with, uh, you know, tech opportunities. But I found a computer kind of distributor of chips, components <laughs> today that one of the biggest problems in the industry is chip supply chain issues around oh, yes. chip supply. Mm. So I worked for a company, a privately held distributor of chips and diodes and all the components that would go into computers and any any type of tractor or car and that was called future electronics and i worked for them for about uh two years and uh through that met another guy that i was working with and we talked about starting a business he was about 12 years older than i was and i was like yeah I'm, i've always been interested in doing that and we both kind of collaborated on that and uh then connected with uh, my partner today dave stewart and we started worldwide. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, let's talk about the start because it sounds Really simple, starting worldwide technology. You had to find a location. You had to mix. Like, I always think about logistics, like, oh, printing stationery, getting phone lines set up. Tell me about the early days. You didn't have office furniture. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that because people look at you now and say, whoa, he's on the Forbes billionaires list. He's got a multi-billionaire company. They don't see you sitting on the orange crate because you couldn't afford desk uh, chairs. Uh, uh, I, that's what I want to hear about, Jim. Yes. 
Well, it is it is fascinating. Uh, going back, there was just a small, it was about a 1,500 to 2,000 square foot little office that we started in and it had one bathroom and anybody knows that you've got, you know, and there was, there wasn't a, you know, it was a small group of people that we started with, but uh, you know, you're, you're working in one little location, you've got some cubes and uh, you know, a couple chairs here. Uh, and at the time I go back and it, and it was that I basically took fortune magazine and basically took all the list of, all the customers and wrote them down on three by five cards and two of the individuals that came with me uh one is still with us uh julian tojo who uh she was uh worked with me at this other company and she said if you're gonna leave i'm gonna go with you if you don't i'm staying and she has been with us and uh she was one and basically had three by five cards and wrote down names and here's some contacts and procurement and IT, and let's start dialing for dollars. And that's what we did. And we started making phone calls and you just got to, you, you got to get used to rejection. And, you know, we, we hit a customer or two there and got, fortunately, we got a, a, a couple customers and we learned in a very quick way, very iteratively, and uh, things started picking up. But I'll tell you for the, through the first five years, we could have and should have gone out of business so many different times. There were so many different areas that the bank wanted to shut us down. We had an ownership problem that literally needed to fire one of the, the owners and his wife. And that, that, that was a challenge. So this was not an easy, you know, start to your point. There were a lot of, sleepless nights and uh, long, long days and weekends. Well, that's what I want to hear because people, again, tend not to understand all of the pebbles that become boulders and rocks in the road. It's not easy. And then it starts to really get going, right? And suddenly the stock market crashes, the dot-com bubble pops, and it's 2001, and people shut down their what we call CapEx, capital expenditures, where they're right. buying a lot of equipment to grow. This is what happens. You talk about a, a COVID lockdown, try a wallet lockdown. So how did you push through that difficult time? Wow. I feel like, Liz, you were with me through this process. <laughs> uh, I, it, is, it is fascinating that uh, – during the uh, the dot com, which you just described well, it was a massive craze, as you, as you know, being part of it for three, four, five years from probably 96, 97 through 2000. And uh, at that time, uh, at that, I actually started dialing for dollars again because looking to spin off a piece of worldwide. And uh, I called. VCs who I didn't even really wasn't even sure what a VC was, a venture capital group <laughs> that uh, would go out and fund startup businesses, depending on early, late stage companies. And I started calling banks about, you know, what if we decided to take a piece of worldwide to go public or took worldwide public? And they said, you need to go get smart money. And so they said, you needed to you need to get validation through venture capital. I'm like, OK, what's venture capital? Where are they? And they so literally, I started finding them, went out to the West Coast, went up to the East Coast, went to Chicago and started pitching, you know, a piece of worldwide to take it public. And we did that. We raised uh, twenty seven and a half million dollars from two very reputable 
venture capital firms, wow. uh, Highland Capital Partners and Summit Partners up in Boston. And we uh, basically were about a week away from taking a division of worldwide public uh, with about a billion dollar market cap at that time, which was huge for us. Uh, and then to your point, we were about a week away from doing our IPO and the market crashed in March of 2000. Ugh. And the, the, our investment bankers said, let's wait a week, see how the market goes. We waited a week, it got worse. Waited a week, it got, got worse. And worse. And, and then we, were, we had to pull it back and uh, retrench again. And we uh, integrated that piece of the business that we were going to take public and kept it as part of worldwide and then mm. ended up uh, growing the business. And we, uh, through our success and growth, we actually bought uh, the two venture capital partners out of the business. Oh, come on. This is too good. I mean, this is fascinating. This is a classic case of, uh, well, Shakespeare said it's an <laughs> it's an ill wind that blows no good, meaning it's got to be really bad if nothing good comes from it. You manage to get something good out of that. That is incredible. And and look, fast forward, you are a multi-billion dollar company. You, of course, are a billionaire yourself. Your your mantra, though, is, as I as I hear, it's don't look back. Tell us, yeah, it's, tell us what that you means. Know, yeah, I would say it's 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 kind of twofold on that one. Uh, I would say a, a, a couple of things. One I, I do talk about, I think is really, really important, at least for me, that uh, I remain the same person I was growing up Amen. and who I am now. Yes. And that money and success and authority or power, whatever you want to call it, doesn't change who you are. And that is the most important thing uh, to me, that I still have incredible friends uh, from growing up that I've worked with that, uh, and my family and my kids. And, and so when I look at, uh, successive individuals now come back to your point, never, you know, not really looking back, it's, it's, uh, more about, I, I, I believe that, uh, really, really challenging times expose character. And it really shows what you are made of when you're going to, when you're fighting through challenging times as an athlete, as an entertainer, as uh, in business, whatever that may be, that those tough times really expose what, what you're made of. I also believe that really successful times equally, if not more, expose who you are. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is a lot of times people start changing the way they treat people and the way they act and who they think they are, and they believe they have all the answers because now they have this money and they have this success and they have this authority authority or power. And I, I, I just think from my perspective, that's a massive turnoff, that that type of thing, you know, and, and that, that behavior from my perspective, I think as a leader with, with success like that, you need to, to demonstrate a level of humility and growth. And so, to the point of looking back, Michael Dell actually mentioned this uh, when I was talking to Michael and we were actually doing a fireside chat uh, at an event. And he he basically said, you know, don't get caught putting your head in your, your trophy case or, you know, looking back and getting 
you know, caught up in the, the exhaust fumes of your own success. Mm. You need to be looking forward. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I look at, you know, an individual like Michael that uh, I've had the for good fortune of uh, spending time with him and uh, consider Michael a friend and a business partner and a guy that has had just massive success. And he is a very humble guy, but he is an incredibly hardworking uh you know, overachiever. Uh, so that's, you know, when I look at myself personally, it's very, very important how I treat people and how I act and behave uh, as we continue to grow with this, with the same point of, I've got a big appetite to want to continue to grow worldwide technology Good. and our, our business and, and do great, you know, innovative, uh, you know, game changing things. So and I know you will, I can tell. And and one of them is the big stadium, right? The soccer arena. Can I just end with what's the team going to be called? The, this, the team is called uh, St. Louis City. Nice. Uh, yes. So the, 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 the overall intent uh, was really to, to, to kind of galvanize and bring St. Louis together. And uh, a big part of building the stadium downtown along with uh, multiple training fields uh, is to create, you know, more uh, business and economic activity, but uh, this incredible following, you know, that, that, that we've already established without before even playing our first game and really trying to bring the community together in, in a big way. And I think sport is one thing that can uniquely do that, bringing a, a number of, especially soccer being such a global sport, it brings, people of all different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, nationalities, uh, in, in a very, very powerful way. So we're really excited about uh, uh, bringing the, the team and the stadium and uh, just uh, mm. everything about it to St. Louis. What a wonderful legacy. Jim, thank you so much for coming on Everyone Talks to Liz. Well, Liz, thank you for having me. I've, uh, I feel like we've said before, I know you well because I've seen you <laughs> on TV so many different times. So. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be part of, of your show here. And uh, it's it's just great to meet you. Please Finally. come to New York. Come visit. Come visit and I'll come see the city. You got it. <laughs> I certainly will. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Thank you so much. And what did I tell you guys? Is, is this a story that makes your head explode or at least make it blossom into the possibilities of what you can also accomplish just like Jim did. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, I'm right there for you. If you guys want to watch 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, I'm right there. I'm like literally talking to you through the TV. I'll see you then. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.